Good morning. Good morning. 
serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men. Ephesians 6, 7. It's a continuation of the video series, Dust to Glory, tonight at 6. Uh, finger foods as usual. All, uh, also still a request for music for the summer months. Where's Jared? <laughs> what, what does that mean exactly? We, we've, been, we've been saying that for months so now. When when and stuff. When do they? When do you need them to do that? Yes. The the summer months are going to be gone. Okay. So it can be Sunday morning. This isn't this isn't for a special music no, no, night or anything. Okay. We haven't had a special in Sunday morning All right. service in quite a while. Yeah. Okay. Alright. In two weeks I'll ask for a show of hands. So think about it. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. Andrea's number there again. Uh, check out new missionary letters on the board. Nursery workers, we still need two more volunteers. See Jolene. And if you'd like to contribute to the nursery project, you can mark that nursery. All right. Anything else this morning? Our scripture for meditation, then, is a responsive reading that comes out of Trinity, 839 out of Trinity. <laughs> Psalm 146. Let's stand together. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. Do not put your trust in princes, in mortal men who cannot save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed is he who, whose, whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord, his God. He upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the The Lord reigns forever, your God, O Zion, for all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. Remain standing. Let's open our service in prayer. Doc, would you open for us this morning? Father in heaven, we do praise you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to have our praises. Be with our pastor as he delivers the message. Give us ears to hear. Be with those who could not be here because of illness or travel. Thank you, Lord, that you do abide with us and that you love us. In Jesus' name.
please take your red hymnal this morning and turn to 529-529 in the red. <clears throat> Love divine, love all loves excelling. we're going to um, call up the campers and uh, camp people who went to camp and we're going to give our reports for camp. <coughs> While they're assembling, I'll just start giving you an intro. And by the way, we'll go eldest camper to youngest camper by Mercy's request. I'm not Mercy, Naomi's. And then staff, whoever wants to talk. Camp 2018 was a Another fantastic camp year. Everything went really well with just a couple little problems here and there, but 
The theme was telling the old, old story, and Pastor Dean once again was our speaker. We had 33 campers, and nine of those were new, and 13 staff, and Phil was our daytime archery master, range master. I was going to give you a brief um, idea of our schedule for the day, but before I do, keep in mind that everything we say, in between those things, there's a really long walk, and almost everything is on a different hill in the camp. <laughs> so that's part of it too. At 7.30, we rise and shine and give God the glory. At 8 o'clock, we do our cabin cleanup. <clears throat> 8.30, we go to breakfast. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then we head over to our first Bible class of the day with Pastor Dean. And then we go from that to God and I time where we send the campers off with their Bibles and hopefully a reference or something if they need it to um, study and have some alone time with God in prayer. And then we go to our um, group activities and electives. And then we go to lunch. And then we head to Waterfront for a couple hours of swimming, blobbing, um, fishing, boating. And then we have a little uh, snack shack. And then we have a half hour of siesta, which some people use. <laughs> um, then we do our skit prep for our big skit night on Wednesday night. Then we have our dinner. Then again, we have chapel in the evening. And then we do a special activity. Um, one night was a large water slide, then a talent show, then our skit night, and then the last night is our bonfire. And then we have cabin devotions, and then it's lights out for some. <laughs> so that gives you kind of an idea of what we're at. I'm going to let the campers share the Bible stories that Dean shared with us. Thanks. <laughs> um, well, this was uh, another great year at camp. It won. Pretty sure it's my last year because as of next year I'll be shipping off to Navy. Um, but a lot of memories this year. Um, some weird ones, especially walking into the boys' bathroom with Junior Boy, the sink turns around, thinking he's all right. He's like, "What's up?" It's really weird. Like, whoa. Um, but this year, as she said, the theme was telling the old little story. Um, each chapel Bible study session, um, Pastor Dean would tell a story, and then have us tell him that story back. He'd, he'd make sure you memorize that story, and, um, which I really appreciated because I learned a lot from him, and I'm very thankful for him because I've learned so much from him in all these years I've gone. But yeah, um, it was a really great last year. Uh, gonna miss everyone and everything at camp. Um, I'm planning to come back one year as a counselor, so that should be fun. Um, I had more in my head, but now that I'm put on the spot, it's blank. Um, basically, what was I going to say? There it goes. Um, like I said, I'm thankful for everyone and everything at this camp. Um, I was talking to a fellow camper last night, JT, and um, we were just talking um, about um, how much we all mean to each other. And um, like he was saying, like after camp, when you talk to other people that like people you're, you go to school with or um, have been friends with for several years, it feels different. And um, because to me, I have a lot more similarities with these people at camp, and um, it um, makes me upset sometimes thinking, um, that I only see them once a year, so um, that's that. Um, I had more to say, um, but like I said, my mind's blank, so it was a great last year. This was my ninth year at camp, and let me tell you, it was an interesting week. I broke my glasses, and then I broke both of my fingers playing a game. And um, But other than that, we had just an amazing time at camp this year. Um, 
one of the stories that Pastor Dean told us was about, um, I'm going to tell you the story um, from what I can remember because I didn't bring my notes with me. And honestly, we didn't take notes this year because he was just telling us stories and we would repeat it back as Ethan just said. So this story starts with Moses taking the people out of, his people out of uh, Egypt. And they traveled to a place called Edom, which was, um, uh, let's see, owned by um, descendants of Esau. And Moses went to them and asked if they could pass through because they weren't going to like take anything. They were just heading to their next place. And the Edomites told them no. So Moses and his people um, traveled south to, um, down to the Red Sea to travel around um, Edom. And while they were traveling, the people complained and they said, <clears throat> We have no food, we have no water, and we hate this worthless food. Which I thought was kind of funny because you have no food, but you hate the worthless food. So, um, Anyway, um, and God hates complaining, and when they complained, God uh, punished them by sending down serpents, and whenever they would get bit by the serpents, they would die. So they told Moses to pray to God and say, please take away these serpents. So Moses did as they said. And instead of taking away the serpents, God told Abraham, no, not Abraham, sorry. God told Moses to build a bronze serpent and put it on a pole so that whoever looks at it may live. And Pastor Birch told us that it was a representation of Jesus Christ. So whenever we would um, fall into sin, which is being bit by the serpent, all we would have to do is look to Jesus and we would live. So, the end. <laughs> Okay, I gotta say, this is probably one of the most interesting times I've been to camp. First time I've lost two teeth in the same day. We're sitting next to each other at the dinner table. It's like, ouch. I'm like, what's that? A little bit later. First. Anyways, like Hannah and Ethan said, this year we were telling the old, old stories, and where I think. My, Ah, me and my cabin did really hard work in our uh, cabin devotions, and basically the big thing we were working on is how are we, is this just a big picture and representation to Jesus? Is all these stories he's been telling us not really, the is it the same story really being told over and over again? And I got to say, this year I had a lot of fun. It was really nice. This year was, as everybody else has said before me, really interesting and fun. Um, the story that, one of the stories that um, Pastor Birch told us is the story of creation. I think that's the one that everybody memorized the most, because it's creation. <laughs> um, so on the first day, God created the heavens and the earth. And then, and he said that it was good. And he also created the light. And he separated the light from the darkness. Um, on the second day, he did the expanse of the waters beneath and the waters above. And, the, and he did not say that it was good because, you know, it's Monday. Mondays are never good. <laughs> on day three, um, he separated the water to make dry land. And, and, he, saw, and he said that it was good twice. And um, he makes he also makes vegetation. And the fourth day, he made the 
the sun and the moon, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. And, oh, and by the way, the stars. <laughs> and um, day five made the sea creatures and the birds. And day six, he created um, creatures on land and man in his own Im image. So, I don't bring my notes, so I'm just kind of winging this here. Um, any okay, um, so this year at camp was really fun. This was my third year, and um, Dad and me got to stay in our own cabin this year, which was exciting for me because... Um, I never got to do that before, and it was just really exciting. Um, so we did lots of things at camp. We had electives, and there were games, and it was really fun. Um, this year at camp, we learned about telling the old, old stories, and um, like Pastor Bruce said, some people tend to skip over the Old Testament and just think that it's not as important as the New Testament. But really the Old Testament is very important and it can actually help you clear up your New Testament. And the Old Testament is a big picture and story that's saying he's coming, he's coming, he's coming, and the New Testament is saying that he's here. And throughout the Old Testament you see God keeping his promises and one of those promises that he made in Genesis chapter 3, he would send the Deliverer. And um, so it was um, really interesting to me about that. Um, like some people have said already, we didn't really take notes this year because he was telling us these stories and he would have us repeat them a few times until we got it. And it was, we learned about creation, we learned about the fall, we learned about um, Abraham, we learned about Moses. Um, and it was just really fun. So. This was my first year at camp, um, and I am still not old enough to go. <laughs> my parents just bent the rules a little bit. Um, it was really exciting for me, and um, as Mercy said, um, the Old Testament is saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. New Testament is saying, he's here, he's here, he's here. And so, one of the stories that Pastor Birch told us was the Passover. And I'm going to tell that. Uh, so, on the tenth month, on the first day, or no, the first month on the tenth day, <laughs> um, God told the people of Israel, <laughs> Israel, okay, told the people of Israel 
to get a lamb, male, one year old, and kill it. And purple. And kill it. And put, um, get the blood, um, and get a paintbrush. Well, that's what we say. And put it on the both sides of the door and on the top. And so they did it. And then they said, and then God said to eat the lamb. And he said to roast it. Roast it. Um, not boil it and not eat it raw. Roast it. And he said you need to eat it all. But if you don't eat it all, um, throw it in the fire. And this is how we, he told them to eat it. There was a certain way to eat it. Um, put on their sandals, get their staff, um, and put on their belts, and there's one more. And the rope tucked into the belt. And they have to eat it with what? They had to eat it fast. And if your house wasn't big enough, go share with the neighbors. And so God passed, God looked on the house with the death angel, and if they had the blood, he would pass over it. And this was just a really exciting year for me, and I loved it. But I was crying at the end. <laughs> All right, so this was my first year as a counselor, and it was really, as to quote the others, interesting and exciting. Um, I loved my group. They were amazing. I had Lydia, and I had Mercy, and I had Emily Anderson, and Grace Bradfield, and they were just the most amazing girls ever. I loved being with them. I learned so much from them, and I hope they learned something from me. As everybody said before, uh, the sermon this week was the old, old stories. And a little off-putting for me, no notes. Had to memorize it, my weak point. It was my memory. But Pastor Birch did it in a way that we could all remember it, and I could probably tell you creation quote for quote. <laughs> Um, all of the stories that he told us this week were intertwined with one another in some form. This week was his promise. In Genesis, he made a promise that the, the son of the woman would come and save everyone from sin. And he showed us how in each story that he told us, there was a reference to the promise. And I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> Uh, one of the quotes that he told us uh, that he had us memorize again was 2 Corinthians 5.21, and it stuck with me this entire week, and I really, really like it. For our sake, he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I, I, I love that quote. It stuck with me. I had a lot of fun this year at camp, and I hope I have a lot of fun next year too as a counselor.
I enjoyed the messages, like everyone was saying. Um, and like Rachel said, the common thread through all of the stories that he was telling is the promise that was made in Genesis 3.15 of um, Christ coming through um, the woman and crushing the um, serpent, serpent's head. And um, Pastor Dean was telling us that we need to read all of those stories in the Old Testament in light of that. Um, he was asking questions, could God have um, wiped out everybody during the flood, including Noah? And no, he couldn't have because he promised that there was going to be someone coming to deliver um, his people. So he could not have wiped out everybody. Um, he needed um, the genealogy to bring him. And he went down through David and through Abraham and Isaac and um, Abraham sacrificed. Um, being willing to sacrifice his own son um, and, um, and we, we see the that thread going through all of the different stories um, as everyone's been saying and that um, that God keeps his promises um, no matter no matter what so. it was the senior counselor in the junior high girls cabin with Rachel and we had those four lovely girls in our cabin and we had a great time this week and um, you keep hearing them say we couldn't take notes, we couldn't take notes, we had to memorize and there was a purpose for that. Um, Dean Birch travels the globe teaching people of Christ and he's teaching pastors and some of these pastors, believe it or not, can't read and write. How do you communicate the gospel with someone without opening up a book and having them read it? You need to know the stories well enough to tell them verbally. You need to, to know the stories well enough as you go throughout your day and your week to come about people who don't know Christ to tell them. And you need to, you need to know them. It's, it's a lost art in our country to tell stories, storytelling. And so that was the reason. There was a definite reason behind try not to take notes. And we still had some who was really hard for them not to take notes. And it was fine. But that was the purpose this week. It wasn't just to see, oh, see if we can memorize all these stories. No, there's a purpose in why we memorize stories. Why do we have to have them committed to memory? Because there may become a day that we don't have our Bible and we don't have access to our Bibles all the time. Well, a lot of us have them on our devices anymore, but we might not have that uh, capability of doing so. So the kids did a great job of <clears throat> being able to repeat the stories. And it was our jobs as counselors. <clears throat> which um, we didn't do very well, um, to have them repeat them to us once they learn them and when they go to their God and I time to be able to think about these stories and think about um, if they could retell them and then we would retell them as a group. And it was, it was wonderful to see the kids uh, do that. And he told them in a fantastic way that it was easy to memorize. As you see, they all can tell you a bit, although they, they, they didn't all, but they all can. They all have the capability of telling you at least little bits and pieces. And then the... the, the the camp skit night is retelling of an old story that they got to tell. Again, just solidifying that capability of telling stories in a different way. And it was really neat to watch the kids go from, I can't do that, to by the end of the week. Even though we were tired at, at the end of the week on, on Friday, we could tell those stories. Even those of us with memory issues could repeat at least parts of those stories. And it was, it was pretty neat to watch Dean teach that and watch the kids absorb it. And it's just fabulous. If you ever have a chance to come out and not even be a counselor, just to come out and listen to a chapel time or a, or a Bible time to, to come out and do so. It's welcome. We welcome you to come to camp. It's a little dusty and yeah, you got to walk a little bit, but you are allowed to drive your cars, but come to camp, see what we're doing, you know, see what we're, we're learning because they are learning and it's wonderful teaching about Christ.
Well, they've said just about everything I was going to, which is good because it means we're on the same page. What I th thought was interesting was what Dan shared with you a moment ago. Um, why couldn't, why didn't God destroy the whole world but the flood? Because he made a promise. Not because he found anything special in Noah and his family. But because God promised and he always keeps his promises. That's why they weren't wiped out. Okay. We, we had uh, a really good time at camp. Good kids uh, that come there. We're so thankful for the kids that come. Um, and we have excellent staff that come. Not just from our own church, but from other churches. And I got a chance as the director to sit on, on uh, devotions. And I happened to be in the junior girls' cabin one night and was just excited by what I was hearing. Um, Nina Sanders was, was teaching, and her daughter Sarah was her co-counselor. And it was interesting because as Nina was telling stories, Sarah in the back was playing the policeman. getting them, to, And they worked so well together. The kids were focused, and there was a lot of really good discussion. We had uh, one camper go home twice. <laughs> they had an ear infection, thought they had it under control, and they went home again. Hannah broke her fingers, kind of lost teeth. You know, it's not the worst kind of thing that we've had in terms of, of stuff, but just remember to pray for us, because people get injured. We've had people break their legs and everything else happened there. And, and um, Dean had a question and answer time at the end, which is really good. It lets the kids ask anything, and they're hard questions. I want to let you know that the kids, they think, they think hard. It doesn't take them too long to find the hard questions. And Dean does a good job of trying to answer, but he's also humble and willing enough to say, I don't know, which is important. I think we need to be able to have that kind of willingness too. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us exactly. I'm not going to speculate. I thought it was interesting. I was taking some time to talk with Dean in his downtime. It's one of the things I do is we talk. We talk about how things are going, uh, what he's going to talk about, how we're going to change some things. That's what we do while the activities are going on. He shared with me a story that he had talked about his ministry doing exactly what he did at the camp. And a man came up to him after it was over and was indignant with him and said, how dare you set these people up, these men, to be pastors of these churches when they can't read or write? And he was like, should we just hold the gospel off until they can? Okay, how did they pass these stories around before we had the written word? They don't have the word in their language yet, so that means it's not for them right now? I said, we, we equip them the best that we can, and we go back and we tell more stories, and we teach, and during that time we have people that are translating the Bible. But we don't stop, we don't hold the glass of water in front of them and say, you can't have this. So I thought that was interesting, and that, that person came from one of our churches. So it's, it's this elitism that we have in our country. We send our men to seminary, we have those things available to have good schooling to teach people how to read the Bible and, and look at the languages and those kind of things. These people don't. But I'll tell you what they do have. If they're Christians, they have the Spirit of God. And that, that plus the Word is all that's necessary. So getting this stuff translated is still an important part of what's going on. You need to pray for Dean so he has the wisdom to do that. But that's why he was telling the story here. They may not be fantastic readers, but they can hear the young kids. And they can repeat. Their memories are better than ours, Right? They can repeat. There are stories, there was points of what Naomi was saying here a moment ago that I had already forgotten, but she's got them down. So, at any rate, we had a good, good camp. Uh, it's exhausting as always. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for sending the people here, whether it's camp or counselor. Would encourage you to also be involved with camp next year. Thank you to Phil for coming out and do those things, and thank you for praying. We have a song that we'd like you to sing with us. 298.
97. 97, the brown.
Our scripture text today is Ephesians chapter 6. It's always wonderful to hear about camp and to really see what the Lord has done among our young people. His mercies are new every morning, the scripture says. And if you've never been to the layout camp, it's easy to find. It's north of Lapeer. Uh, it's in the Columbiaville area. Uh, and there's signs that alert you all the way to go. And we went out there on Wednesday night, but you can go out just about any time and listen to the um, presentation and listen to the kids, talk to the counselors. And it's a very good experience. I'm thankful for camp. Uh, my days as a young person coming up through camp in Pennsylvania was Camp Susquo, which was a reform camp uh, was supported by Grace Churches. Um, from all around Pennsylvania and New Jersey. And those days were, were uh, a great blessing. The camp was just located north of the city where I grew up, about an hour north, but still a uh, wonderful time out in the Pennsylvania mountains and so on, hearing the gospel presented on child's level. Well, we're continuing in our series on Joy Unspeakable. Today I want to talk to you about the joy of service, the joy of service. You may not think it's a joy to have to serve, but there's great joy when Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Well, what is service? Service is giving. Not your money, but of yourself. So as we come, let's ask the Lord's enablement. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the uh, word that was preached at camp and the fact that our young people um, heard the gospel and memorized these stories, not being allowed to take notes. I wonder if we could do that today. What if we lost our Bibles? What if a totalitarian government took our privileges of church attendance away from us. What would we do? What would happen to us spiritually? We might think that's far-fetched, but it has happened to many, many countries. And even in America, we see a great hostility to the preaching of the Word of God. People don't want even religious programs on television anymore. Uh, they think that that is an abuse of the airwaves, an abuse of our secular society. So Lord, help us to love the fact that we can come together and worship together, study your word together, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, in whose name we pray, with thanksgiving, amen. As indicated, our text is Ephesians 6, talks about service and servants and all of those wonderful things. And I want to talk to you today about the joy of service. The first thing you'll note in your bulletin outline is that service to others issues from a humble heart. Maybe you don't have a bulletin outline because I didn't make one. You have to write it down. Service to others issues from a humble heart. I don't think proud people have the idea of service. So here's the connection to our study last week which was on humility. Proud people have a problem serving others. Now notice what I'm saying. 
I did not say they have a problem giving money. Proud people don't have a problem giving money. They may have that problem too, but service has to do with personal willingness to get one's hands dirty and not just open the pocketbook and throw money at a problem. Hollywood celebrities will often get involved in a philanthropic endeavor, but always with a photo op, right? So they can highlight their involvement so everybody can see what they're doing. Money may not be in the picture at all, but the publicity is worth thousands. Got to have the cameras rolling. The kind of service that the Bible promotes has nothing to do with personal prestige or recognition. Y'all remember the incident of Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. The disciples had rented a room on the order of Jesus so that he could be with them the night, that night to celebrate Passover. Well, this was the Passover of the very night in which Jesus would be arrested and tried and crucified. And John testified, it was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now demonstrated the full extent of his love. John 13, verse 1. And then verse 3 and following, same chapter, continues. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. John 13, verse 3 and following. And all that detail is because John was there. John saw it all. Well, not only Peter, but I suspect the jaws dropped of many of those disciples when they saw their Lord and teacher on his knees, moving a basin from person to person, performing the task of the most menial of all household servants. Only Peter had the wherewithal to voice his consternation. That's just part of Peter's nature. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? John 13, verse 6. What was going on? Well, Peter saw the utter absurdity of this gesture. The dirty feet of sinners and God's Son kneeling to wash them. (laughs) He looked at that whole scene and it just did not compute. Lord, this isn't right. I should be washing your feet, and are you going to wash my feet? Please, stop this. Stand up. It's embarrassing. Well, embarrassing or no, none of the disciples, including Peter, had volunteered to perform this most basic of common courtesies. None of them We're going to kneel and wash street grime off the feet 
of their fellow disciples. Better if we just sit around the table, dirty feet and all. Such was their attitude. Such was their pride. Jesus gave perspective to their pride with this analysis. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked them. He didn't wait for them to answer. It was rhetorical. He went on. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. John 13, verse 12 through 17. Now the moral of the story here is not that we should establish an ordinance of foot washing, as some churches have done. But as Jesus explained, I have set you an example. Not just in this particular of foot washing, but in many, many other necessary services. We do not live in an arid climate where people walk about in open-toed sandals. Our feet are covered with socks and encased in shoe leather. So the point of Jesus' example is this. I, your Lord, your teacher, have washed your feet. I have performed the menial role of a servant, which all of you should have done, but sad to say, you were too proud to do it. The mother of James and John petitioned Jesus one time, to elevate her two sons to the right and left hand, respectively, when his kingdom was established. And Matthew, the author of that history, then indicts himself when he adds, when the ten heard about this, which would include Matthew, right? Judas is long gone. He's left the group. When the ten heard about this, including Matthew, they were indignant with the two brothers, James and John. Why? Because they didn't think of it first. All these men were very much into who among their group should be considered the greatest. If You have to read the context. We know this because Jesus went on to give the illustration of how the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over their people, Matthew 20, verse 23. And then he gave this charge, not so with you. Yeah, the rulers of the Gentiles, they like to lord it over those that are under them. Not so with you. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man 
did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life, there's the sacrifice, as a ransom for many. Matthew 20, verse 25 and following. The word slave here is the Greek form. Doulos, it means a galley slave. What's a galley slave? Well, that's the oarsman who's chained to an oar in the third tier down in the hold of a ship with all of the sewage, the rats, and the filth of disease. Far cry from the captain's quarters with linen sheets and fresh fruit on the table. That's what God has called us to. Service to others issues from a humble heart. Humble people do not think of themselves as being, oh, I'm put upon to do less desirable tasks that would otherwise be frowned upon by the proud. They just jump into the mud with both feet and they gladly do whatever is necessary to aid others for their good. Love for others, particularly love for the brethren, will cause us to gladly bend the knee or lend a helping hand if it will lighten the burden others are bearing. That's what humility does. Makes us want to help. And secondly, a heart is humbled by consistent service to others. If you don't have a humble heart, you start by consistent service. Suppose, like Matthew, you were to admit that the reason you were so angry with your fellow brethren was because they thought of a way to advance their status that you wished you had thought of first. If your sin is pride, and all of us have that to some extent, then service to others is the remedy that will humble you. Critics have questioned the humility of Moses because he dared to write about himself in Numbers 12 and verse 3. Here it is. Moses wrote this. Now remember. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. The critics read that and they say, Oh, wait a minute here. Moses is tooting his own horn. (laughs) How can it possibly be true that he was the most humble man on the face of the earth when he is the one writing that? I mean, that's that's not humility. This is outright, bold face pride of the basis sore. He's patting himself on the back. He's putting his thumbs under his lapel and say, hey, look at me, look at me. I'm the most humble man that ever lived on the face of the earth. Well, how do we answer that? Well, the answer is this, that those who criticize Moses do not understand the biblical doctrine of the inspiration of the scriptures. What is the biblical doctrine? Let me give it to you here from the scripture in 2 Timothy. All scripture, writes Paul, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, 2 Timothy 3.16. God-breathed, that word God-breathed, is theonumatos, theos, God, pneumatos, coming from the Greek word meaning breath or air, 
all the men will know about pneumatic tools, which we might have in our garage, run on an air compressor. You know, nailers, staplers, impact wrenches, pneumatic tools, they're called. So what is God breed? Paul says it's the graphe, the scriptures. Graphe, what's written down? Graphite, pencil, see? The lead used in writing. That's what is God breathed. So what had been written down by the human secretaries, in this case Moses, had been God breathed. It's not Moses' thoughts. It's God's thoughts. The stenographer never gets credit for the dictation that he or she writes down, even in our day. Peter reinforces this when he explains, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21. So, this being true, Moses had to, yes, had to describe his own character as the most humble man on the face of the earth because that was God's evaluation of him. God's evaluation of him. He could have not written anything otherwise and still be faithful to God's word on this matter. He wrote under the Spirit's breathing into him the very words he must write. Now I said all that to say this. Moses' humility was evident in the way he served Israel. That's why I think God calls him the most humble. He served Israel. He went to Egypt to speak to Pharaoh about their freedom when he didn't see himself qualified as a spokesman. Do you remember that? By the way, he was age 80 when he went to Egypt. When the Israelites sinned against God by worshiping the golden calf, it was Moses who interceded for them when God had said that he would kill them all and make Moses into a great nation. Step aside, Moses. I'll wipe them out and I'll start all over with you. Wow. Time and again, Moses stepped in on their behalf when God would have wiped them out for their complaining and their grumbling. Remember all of that? He stopped plagues that were destroying their own number. He raised a brass snake to bring healing to those who had been bitten by poisonous vipers. He was in every way the servant of the nation, which accounts for his humility. Serve, 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 serve. That was Moses. When we come to the New Testament, the principle holds. A heart is humbled by consistent service to others. 
The account is Matthew 25, verse 34 and following. Jesus is telling this account. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me, for me. Well, there are many lessons to learn from this account, but I draw your attention to the attitude of the people whom Jesus addressed. They were living out the Christian principles of love for the brethren as best they could, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, showing hospitality to strangers and so on. But unlike the Hollywood crowd and people of the world, they were not keeping score. They were not doing what they did for the praise and recognition of men. They just did what they did out of love for Christ. There's no pride here. How do we know? Because when Jesus listed all the things they had done, they said to the Lord, Lord, when did we? When did we? Their service to others made them humble, and they had no clue that Jesus took it as a personal service to him when they lovingly responded to their brothers in need. Pride is checked when we go about serving others out of love for God, and not for the applause and the recognition of men. I'm pleased to say, brethren, that we have people in our church who serve like this. They serve like this. You'll never know it. You will never know it. They work behind the scenes. They work unannounced. They work unrecognized. Buying church supplies for the kitchen. Repairing broken equipment. Winterizing the building. Mowing the grass in the summer. Shoveling the walks in the winter, visiting the shut-ins. Unassuming, humble people who could care less about applause or remuneration. If you pay me, I'll do it. No. They just have a grasp of the principle Jesus taught. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Acts 20, verse 35, which is our verse of the week. What then are the principles of service? Well, number one, Jesus has called all of his people to follow his example. 
When the disciples became indignant with James and John for trying to pull a fast one on them by using their mother to ply a favor from Jesus, the Lord rebuked them all. And here's what he said. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you, that's what your problem is. You want to become great. Whoever wants that to happen, you must be the other person's servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did come, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give, a life, and to give his life as a ransom for many, Luke 20, or Matthew 20, rather, verse 26 through 28. So whether it is Jesus with a basin and a towel, or setting his face steadfastly towards Jerusalem and the execution that's awaiting him there, the principle is self-sacrifice. And that was something the Lord wanted his disciples to emulate in him. I'm sacrificing for you. I'm teaching you principle. I'm teaching you servanthood. Where's the servant attitude in your own life? We saw this as well in the foot washing debacle. He says, I tell you the truth. No servant, that's you guys, no servant is greater than his master. Why are you all sitting around the table not doing anything? It's common courtesy of the day. You should be all beating each other up to try to get to the basin first. Wash each other's feet. Nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. John 13, verse 16. So why in the face of Jesus' own self-denial and personal condescension would we ever think of a task of service as being somehow beneath us? Beneath us. It's important to understand the Son of God did not come as a king. He did not come as a king who expected to be served hand and foot. No, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, to sacrifice himself. He taught in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Well, he did that for us. And John uses that sacrifice to define true love for the brethren. Here's the way he puts it. This is how we know what love is, writes John. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. 1 John, 1 John 3, verse 16. This is true. It will not always mean forfeiture of one's life, but it will always mean forfeiture of our pride. Selflessness, selflessness does not come to us naturally. By nature, we are self-centered. We are consumed with me, myself, and I. So the first principle of service is to practice Jesus' example. The servant is not above the master. So if we see the master serving, 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 we take our cue from him. Secondly, service begins with those with whom you have ordinary common dealings. When I was at school, 
in Moody. I was in the missionary program, and I remember Dr. Good, uh, who was the, not the good you know, it's is different, head of the mission program, and he would make the statement, no boat trip ever makes a missionary. We're going, duh, what's he mean by that? What he meant was this, you kids that are here learning how to become missionaries, if you can't serve one another as missionaries and giving the gospel with people you know in your own community, do you really think you're cut out to be a missionary because you're going to sail a boat to Africa? The boat trip isn't going to open your heart to want to give forth the gospel. I thought that was a stunning statement. Because in those days, and this was in the 60s, and probably somewhat true today, we all fantasized about being missionaries and, oh boy, we'll go to Africa and we'll serve God as a missionary. In fact, this boy was originally enrolled in the missionary program at Moody because uh, there was a tremendous en emphasis in our house, especially with my father, on missions. He supported missionaries personally, in addition to church, dozens of missionaries from his own income. So, you know, the pressure was on for the son, for me, to become a missionary. And I went to Moody, signed up for the missionary program. Going to be a missionary, got to go to Africa, got to serve the Lord. And it was while at Moody, the Lord worked in my heart to turn me from missionary towards the pastoral program, and the rest is history. Our text, verse 1, talks about the family of which we are a part. Listen how it says, Ephesians 6, 1. Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. Can I talk to the kids here a little bit? Service role for children consists of these two prongs. And we heard from our kids in camp today. These two prongs. First prong, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Children, listen up. This is the first way you serve Christ. He says so right in the text. It's service in the Lord. The first way is to obey your parents. Mom and dad are not always right in what they do, but they are your parents. And God has placed them over you for instruction, especially fathers, for discipline, for correction, when you stray down wrongful or sinful paths. That's the first prong, obey. Second prong of your service is this, honor your father and mother. Honor shows that you respect them for who and what they are and the good they try to do on your behalf. God's watching and his reward is for good service on your part in these areas that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I think it's referring to physical life. Now let me just say that I don't think that getting older means you stop obeying and stop honoring. 
Whereas compliance results in God's blessing, defiance results in God's judgment. And we have it in, illustrated in the scripture. For example, Esau despised his birthright, gladly sold it to Jacob for a bowl of soup, but he despised something else. The scripture says, Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob, that is, Isaac is his father, had blessed Jacob, his brother, and they had sent him to Padam Aran to take away from there. And that he blessed him and commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and did go to Padan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and married Mahalath, the sister of Nebaioth, the daughter of Ishmael, son of Abraham, in addition to the wives that he already had. Genesis 28, verse 6 through 9. What is that? It is telling us that he did the very opposite of obedience and honor. He did what he knew would displease his father and his mother. Esau's previous wives had already brought disharmony into the home. Rebekah said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. They were Esau's wives. She went on, If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Genesis 27, verse 46. Now he's listening to all this. Esau's listening to all this. He's married to Hittite women. They're not Christians. They're not believers. They're creating all kinds of havoc in the household. And so Rebecca says, I'm not, I don't want this for, I don't want this for uh, my son. So I want you to send Jacob into Padamar and back home to my brother's house. And he can find a wife there. Well, that didn't sell, set well with Esau. He was going to murder Jacob, his brother. And God took note of Esau. Here's what he tells us. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. And afterwards, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Hebrews 12, verse 16 and 7. He was cut off from God as well as from his family. All because he could not bring himself to serve his mother and father by honoring them and obeying their good counsel. They want me to marry women of their particular religious persuasion. I'm not doing it. I'm marrying who I want. So he went after the women of the world. That's Esau. That's Esau. But secondly, parents have a service role in the family as well. We are told, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Ephesians 6, verse 4. The parallel text in Colossians 3.21 words it this way. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Now, while it's quite true that a sassy and belligerent child is disobeying the law of Christ, showing disrespect, 
for his or her parents, it can also be true that an overbearing parent has contributed to such behavior. Parenting is not just bossing. It's leading by example. It's trying to see things from the heart of the child and directing your orders, your rules, your discipline in accord with the bent of the child's personality. And there is no such thing as a one-size-fits-all when it comes to children. Each is different. Each has his or her own personality. If parents keep the reins too tight, the child is never going to mature through interaction with peers and by being able to make their own decisions, even if those decisions are sometimes wrong. Solomon put it this way, train a child in the way he should go, that is the proper path, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. Proverbs 22, verse 6. It's been said in our day that there are such things as helicopter parents. What's a helicopter parent? Those are the helicopter parents are those that hover over their children constantly, not mothering, but smothering them in everything they do, never letting them grow up. You know, the Apostle Paul was never, he was never a physical father, as far as we know. But he knew from God how to act as a father and as a mother. He was the spiritual father to the churches of Corinth and Thessalonica, to whom he wrote, We were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. How's that? In his service. Because you have become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. He earned his own ways, what he's saying. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God, who called you into his kingdom of glory. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 7 and following. Parents, this is how you serve your children in the name of Christ. Are you doing a good job of that? Setting the example. So we see that whether a child or a parent service to Christ is part of being in the family. In Ephesians 5, it goes on to say that husbands and wives have a responsibility as well. Now the church submits, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ephesians 5, verse 24. And then verse 33, the wife must respect her husband. 
This is your service to Christ, wives, and it cannot be easily dismissed because of gross sin on your part. Likewise, husbands. Paul writes, husbands, love your wives. How should we love them? Just as Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her. What's that mean? It's the service of sacrifice. Verse 33. Each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. Well, how do we love ourselves, guys? We take care of ourselves. We comfort ourselves. We watch out for our own safety. We have high regard for ourselves. Solomon speaks of the wife who is the excellent wife in Proverbs 31 as a ruby. A ruby. A precious stone. Worth a great price. So you see, whether you're a child or whether you're a parent, whether you're a wife, whether you're a husband, service begins in the family and from there it spreads to other areas. I would be so bold as to say it this way. If you're not serving one another in the family, you won't make good servants in the church. You won't. Because you're messing up in the basic element of society, the family. In the interaction with other people. Then what about service as employees or employers? The text goes on to say, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them, not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from our heart, serve wholeheartedly, as if you were serving the Lord, not man, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he's a slave or free. Ephesians 6, verses 5 through 8. Uh, I wonder, guys, if we've ever thought of our work as serving the Lord. Ladies, too. Serving the Lord. Not man, he says. The apostle is saying, you don't just work with General Motors or Ford or Chrysler. No, no. You work for Christ. You work for the Lord. That means that you are the best employee you can be. Even when the earthly boss is not looking, you serve Christ first and foremost. You do not allow the union to dictate to conscience things that would be inappropriate if you were serving Christ. I know men that have had to disallow the union in their work and take trouble and gripes from the union on that. Why? Because the union money was going to sponsor things like abortion, Planned Parenthood, things of that nature. They said, you're not taking my union dues. I'm not going to give you my union dues. You're not going to take my dues and use them to kill babies. 
You don't curse the boss because he's hard to work for. You don't sabotage the projects at work because you hold a grudge. You do not do a sloppy and inadequate job. No, you serve wholeheartedly, our text says, as if you were serving the Lord because guess what? As a Christian, you are serving the Lord. You're just doing a good job of it or you're doing a bad job of it, but you're serving the Lord. And if you're in the role of boss or supervisor, the text also says, and masters... Treat your slaves in the same way, that is, do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. Ephesians 6, verse 9. I know I read this text and I think, what a, what a different world it would be if both employees and employers functioned this way. Well, we must function this way even if the world does not function this way it's our service to Christ his joy is our reward his master replied well done good and faithful servant you have been faithful with a few things and I will put you in charge of many Come and share your master's happiness. Matthew 25, verse 23. When I was a young, <clears throat> young man growing up, well, I was in college coming home, and you know, when you come home from college, you always look for some kind of work to make money, so you go back to college and spend it and make, get more education. Well, I had a father-in-law who had an in with AFCO Corporation. AFCO Corporation builds like humming engines for Piper aircraft. My, my job wasn't on the assembly line to build engines. I didn't know anything about building engines. My job was a broom about that wide, a dustpan with a little brush, and big garbage cans because the engines were made out of magnesium. I don't know if you know anything about magnesium. It's like aluminum, only lighter, stronger, but very volatile. Magnesium can just combust on the floor. Well, as they're machining all these parts in the engine, you got piles and piles of magnesium scrap that's falling to the floor. My job was to go around, sweep up all of those things, put them in a wheelbarrow, take them out to the magnesium dump site, which is all steel and cement, so that even if they did catch on fire, it wasn't going to do anything. That was my task. Well, I didn't know it, but when they assigned me, they signed me a certain line to go down. Now, you go down there and clean up this, this row of guys working on all these things. Clean up the magnesium on the floor. I misunderstood. I, th- I thought he was telling me, do this whole, this whole pathway here, this whole row. Now, he's talking about just one row of machines. Man, they would fit in this aisle right here. 
And I thought he went the whole room. So I did. The whole room. He comes back later. Where's this guy that's supposed to be doing this job over here? Oh, we haven't seen him all day. Well, how'd the room get so clean? Oh, that kid over there that used, he did, he did the whole room. He did not do just the pathway, but the whole room. They said, yes. So he come over to me and says, where's so-and-so? And I said, I don't know where he's at. Well, why did you do that? Well, you told me. No, I meant you should do just this. Oh, okay. He couldn't believe it. He just scratched his head. He says, you could eat off the floor. Well, he didn't understand. <laughs> no one understood. I wasn't working for Avco. I was working for the master of all masters, the Lord Christ. And yeah, in all honesty, I would have only cleaned <laughs> the little path if I had been brain enough to figure that out rather than the whole area that was being but I'm glad to be able to say that I was working for Christ. He looked at my, <laughs> this is the other thing, he looked at my broom, which was about that wide, and the nubbies, the, the broom bristles were only that long. He says, how long have you been using this broom? I said, oh, weeks. He says, you need to go to storehouse and get a new broom. The, broom. the bristles are supposed to be like so. I had worn the thing down to nubbies. But it was still getting the floor clean. But it was hard work because if you've ever tried sleep, sweeping a floor with short bristles versus nice soft bristles, it's a task. But again, I wasn't doing it for Havco. I was doing it for Christ. And I don't care whether the boss noticed it or not. I would still do it. In fact, I was doing it. It was only in later times that he figured out what's going on. Where He had assigned another person to do the other area. Where was that other person? Off in the storage room sleeping. They did find him sleeping. So I was doing my work and his work. And I didn't know anything about where to serve Christ. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in just a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. You know, the world sometimes has a warped view of serving others to please God. They may be philanthropic because they're trying to work their way to heaven. And so, go, doing good to others is one way they hope to win points with God. Let me put it this way. Wrong motives blacken good deeds. Wrong motives blacken good deeds. You cannot buy salvation with the currency of service to others. No. Before any deed is defined as good and acceptable in God's sight, the motive must be for his glory, not your salvation. How is God glorified in salvation? 
Well, when you honor the Son by placing your trust in Him and not your service deeds, when you repent of the sins that separate you from God and His holiness, this is what gives, this is what God gives when you ask Him. His blessing is upon you. We serve God for His glory. Not because of what we get out of it, but just because He's worthy. He is worthy of our glory. Our praise, our thanksgiving. He's worthy of our service. And if you don't have a heart of service for others, here's my, here's my uh, problem with that. I think God's problem. Do you really know God as Savior and Lord? If Christ came to seek and to save the lost, if Christ said and he did say that a servant is not greater than the master, So if you're not serving as a Christian, are you a Christian? Do you love the Lord? Or are you just concerned about me, myself, and I? I'm safe. I'm cool. I'm copacetic. The rest of you can fend for yourself. I did it. You can do it. That's your attitude. I can say boldly before God, you're not saved. You don't know square one about salvation. We have to follow the example of Christ. He came to serve. Our Father, we pray that you'll bless the truth of your word. Thank you for the kids' reports today. Thank you for the service that Dean Birch gave with regard to the gospel that he gave at camp. And then for the kids' hard work of memorizing the scriptures and the principles so that they could enumerate them today and live them. I pray that our kids know the Lord or that some came to know the Lord at camp. That's always one of our goals, but also that for the believing children there that they would grow in grace and grow in knowledge and learn how to love one another and learn how to love parents and learn how to serve their siblings, their brothers and sisters and others in the community. Lord, that is the mark of whether or not we really know the servant that came from glory. He didn't come as a king. He came as a servant. Are we walking in his footsteps today? Thank you for the truth of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is in the red hymnal, number 537. Let's stand as we sing. 537.
led by his spirit to fountains of love, thou shalt be fitted for service where? Above. What do you think heaven's going to be like? Oh, down the Mediterranean, fishing along the shores of St. Clair River. Now it's going to be a time of service for others. There'll be joy in that. So if you don't learn the principle of service, uh, you're going to have trouble in the glory of God, apart from God's grace. It's going to be a time of service for others. I don't know. Say, what are you going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. I know this. We're going to be praising God and serving the Lord. He runs the universe, right? So he's got a job and task for us to do, and we're learning it, or should be learning it, right in the here and now. The Lord bless you. See you tonight, 6 o'clock, downstairs. Thank you.